1: We've been in like some pretty intense weeks in this series talking about how you cannot be spiritually healthy if you're not emotionally healthy. Last week we talked about the dark night of the soul, but it's been intense. The book doesn't have a lot of hope and humor in this part of the book. And so we thought we'd lighten it up today. So the title of my message today is How to Grieve Like Jesus. Grief is something that we will all face at one point or another. Grief is sorrow over loss. We live in a culture where all we do is win. It's all about gaining. It's all about overcoming. And it kind of feels like grief, loss, sorrow is like an invasion on our normal life. This doesn't belong here. But to followers of Jesus, grief and suffering are normal. To quote the great philosopher from the Marvel Universe by the name of Vision, I've never experienced loss because I've never had a loved one to lose. But what is grief if not love persevering? C.S. Lewis says, the pain now is part of the happiness then. That's the deal. To deny that loss is to deny the love. If you love something that you could permanently or even temporarily lose, you are at risk of grief. In my words, I would say, the depth you grieve shows the depth of your love. It's when we love, it's when we extend, it's when we hold on to something, we're afraid and experience the ramifications of loss, which is grief. And we all deal with it in different ways. And I think this is wild, but this is my first sermon on grief on a Sunday morning. And in fact, in my whole spiritual life, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on grief on a Sunday morning, even though it's something that we all deal with, and we've seen it wreak havoc in so many lives. We all deal with grief in various ways. I have a two-year-old daughter, and she loves her pink slippers. Her name is Nala, and she is in pink phase. Pink jacket, pink shirts, pink pants, pink shoes, and she has these slippers that she's been wearing almost her whole life, And they smell now. They are tattered now. There's a huge hole in the bottom, but she insists on wearing them. Two weeks ago, my wife, Pastor Maritha, she ordered some new slippers. We presented them to our daughter. And she hated them. She started to weep and wail and scream. And she was going through all the stages of grief. No, 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 denial. The shock. She began to bargain with us. Dad, dad, no, no. Dad, dad, please. Please. Dad, dad. Crying. Then she started to explode in anger. She started throwing slippers at me, going to her bookshelf, just eye contact, taking books off. I mean, threats and anger and crying. And when the slippers and the books didn't work, she started to throw herself on the ground, begging for mercy it didn't work. We gave her the new slippers. But her response to grief, it kind of reminds me of us, to be honest. We respond in some sort of ways that we think are justified. Anger, outbursts, sobbing, bargaining, just trying to control the situation, controlling God, controlling the people around us, just pleading, please, Bring me back that person. Please, bring me back my job. Oh, please, let my family be like it used to be. Oh, please. We all deal with grief in a lot of ways. And if you're living in this life and if you're loving, at one point you're going to face it. Grieving infertility. Grieving a special needs child. And the dreams that you once had grieving at a funeral after you watch someone die, grieving the ramifications of people dying by suicide, grieving restaurants that have shut down and the state of this pandemic losing businesses that you've poured into your life, grieving the, the shutting down of churches. Even in this region over the last two years, we've seen several churches shut down, grieving another moral failure from a pastor. There are all sorts of things, and how, how do we deal with it when we're experiencing that? Many of us have been taught to faith it till we make it. We've been taught to stuff down those feelings deep inside, and we're just going to be strong. They would have wanted us to be strong. We distract ourselves into oblivion. If I just watch enough shows, if I pick up enough hobbies, if I drink myself to numb the pain, if I smoke enough weed, I don't have to think about this anymore. Oh, I'm just down in the dumps, maybe I can distract myself with pornography, that's the only time I feel normal, or maybe I just have to get outside and reject my family, I can't let people talk to me too closely, because then they'll see I'm not okay on the inside, so we stuff these feelings down, we isolate ourselves, we create a little island so nobody can see that we're not strong. Many of us have had family members that have experienced loss, or our families have grieved, and have you ever noticed that sometimes people change as a result of loss, and you lose the dynamic of your family as people stuff and ignore and numb these feelings, and it never turns out healthy, does it? And so I believe that we need healthy ways of grieving we need a process to facilitate this because if we just stuff down these emotions, eventually it's going to leak out and hurt the people around us. Eventually there are going to be outbursts of rage and anger and addictions and we're going to hurt people that never hurt us in the first place. We've said this before, but that when you don't heal your wounds, you bleed on the people who didn't cut you. And it's important for us to have a healthy way of dealing with unresolved grief. Let me read a list of some symptoms of unresolved grief, and maybe the Holy Spirit will help you identify with one of these. Do you refuse to talk about your loss? Do you avoid thinking about your loved one who died? Do you avoid certain places or events? Do you only talk about the positives, refusing to include the negative parts? Do you only talk about the negative qualities as if there wasn't anything good? Do you avoid getting close to people? As we know, this can wreak havoc. So to help us get a biblical perspective on grief, I'm going to recover the lost spiritual discipline of memorizing Scripture. And so I'm going to help you memorize something, all right? And I want to help ingrain this biblical perspective. So I'm going to go to the Gospel of John. I'm going to go to the 35th verse of the 11th chapter. And I'm going to help you memorize the Scripture. Jesus wept. Let's say it all together. Jesus wept. You have memorized the scripture. All right, close your eyes and say it. Well done. So this is Jesus, fully God, fully man, and he weeps. And if you remember the story, I'm not going to go too much into it today, but he's weeping over his friend Lazarus who had died, and he's weeping on the way to resurrect Lazarus. So he knows Lazarus will live again. But he was able to feel the moment, temporary as it might be, and he wept over that situation. My friend is dead. My friend experienced pain, and he groaned and wept and then went on to resurrect him. And I think this is important for us to notice because sometimes it's hard for us to sing songs like this morning, God, you never fail. God, you, you have the victory always. You'll never let us down. But we're like, oh, but my, my friend died. I experienced this loss. And Jesus, he's able to enter into that pain with us knowing that in light of eternity, we will experience the goodness and the glory and the victory of God, amen? But that doesn't discount the fact that emotions are real and worth paying attention to. And Jesus does. And in the scriptures, there are so many moments that give us ways to harness our raw, painful emotions. Throughout the scriptures, we see encouragement like rend your garments or tear your garments tear them to express your sorrow put on sackcloths that are uncomfortable and they chafe against your skin and cover yourself with ashes so the whole world will know that you're sad you're mourning you're grieving throughout the scriptures we see people stop in the middle of war to grieve losses we see songs and dirges and jesus even said hey i played the dirge but you you did not weep like we were at a funeral there's all these encouragements throughout the scripture to grieve properly. And in our customs, we have funerals, and we have pallbearers, and we have caskets and hearses, and people will wear black, or people will wear white, and some people will shave their beards and shave their heads as a sign of mourning. In our, our family, when Amrita's father passed away, we had to, like... Facilitate the flying of airplanes over the burial ceremony because he was the pilot and we wanted to honor him. At my stepdad's funeral, we had a trumpet solo because my stepdad played trumpet. And we have all these ways of processing and harnessing our grief so that it's not just unresolved pain and sorrow. And so I just want to kind of reduce the stigma. And the first thing I want to share is this: grief is biblical. Grief is biblical. Sorrow is biblical. Mourning is biblical. If you are experiencing distress in your soul, that does not mean you are a bad Christian. It means you are like Jesus who wept. Don't discount yourself. You know, in Luke 22, there's a story of Jesus going into a garden called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane means Pressing. It was a place where they had olives that they would crush into olive oil. So it was quite literally a place of pressing for olives and for Jesus in spiritual turmoil. So this was a garden for olives. If you need help remembering, this is the original olive garden. (laughs) But they didn't have unlimited breadsticks. They had the body of Christ broken for the healing of the world. (laughs) <laughs> Luke 22, 39, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room from the Last Supper and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give into temptation. He walked away about a stone's throat and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great sweat drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. This is a real story of the humanity of Jesus. Yes, he is God, but he is someone who wrestled and prayed and agonized and bargained with God when he had to face death right on. He was about to be crucified, whipped, tortured like a criminal, like a revolutionary criminal. And as he's thinking about this, as he's preparing for this, he is tortured. It's like he is... Facing death before he faces death head on. It says that he is in such pain that he begins to sweat blood, which is an actual medical condition. I am not a medical man, but this condition is called hemahydrosis, hematohydrosis. It's where your, your blood vessels, they, they, they enlarge to the point where they burst, they're dilated, and they get into your sweat glands, and you literally, with that agony, begin to sweat blood. And so I'm encouraged by this because I see Jesus, sometimes it feels like I can't relate to him. But in this passage, I totally can relate to him. He is praying to Jesus, and Jesus is praying to God the Father, and do you notice that his prayer isn't answered? Isn't that a wild thing to think about? Jesus prays in a way that God the Father doesn't answer even Jesus didn't get all his prayers answered. After Jesus prays, please take this cup of suffering away from me, he goes on to suffer on the cross. He bargains to God. He even says, God, hey, if this is possible, and now we as people who maybe have more, quote unquote, knowledge than Jesus, we know all things are possible for God, amen? But notice what Jesus prays, if possible. But we're, we're enlightened. We have more faith than Jesus, I think current Christianity would tell us, right? When you're going through pain and sickness, right, and you acknowledge it, have you ever noticed in Christian circles, don't confess that negative thing over yourself. Don't acknowledge your pain. Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby, as movies would say. And I, I think we have confused Christianity with manifesting. We've adopted a new age philosophy that if we don't acknowledge pain, pain doesn't exist. But Jesus, he says, if possible, and Jesus prays, but God the Father doesn't give him that. He still has to taste the bitter cup of suffering. Isaiah 53 says, he, speaking of Jesus, this is a messianic prophecy, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Grief, as One from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows. And so Jesus, agonizing in this garden, begins to pray these raw prayers. Some would say impolite. There's a scriptural word for that called lament. And there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. In fact, the Psalms, if you read those songs and those writings, about two-thirds of them are called lament or imprecatory sermons where people are confessing their disappointment at God, their offense with God, their anger. Did you know that God can handle your impolite prayers? Did you know that you are allowed to express anger towards God? That's called lament. Another way of remembering lament is lament is the prayer language of pain. When you stub your toe or kick the stairs and you say, ouch, you're expressing physically what's happening to your body. Well, we can do the same thing when we're experiencing pain in our souls and our spirits. We can express a spiritual ouch in the form of lament. And Jesus does this. I remember in my time in Michigan, Pastor Amritha and I, we got married in 2012 about four years later, we got pregnant for the very first time. We were so excited. We called our family. We did Zoom calls with my dad. Hey, you're going to be a grandpa. Showing pictures of the ultrasound. It was so exciting. But I remember going to a doctor's appointment with Amrita for another ultrasound appointment, and we can't find a heartbeat. My heart sank. I couldn't understand what was going on. God, where's our baby? This is our first pregnancy. What's happening here? We began to plead and agonize. It felt like we were sweating blood. And the more we prayed, the more that baby grew apart from us. The more we prayed, the less results we saw from more appointments at the doctor's office. And eventually, we lost that baby. And it was traumatic. Is there something wrong with us? Did we do something with our bodies that we shouldn't have? Did we eat something? Were we living a life that was too stressful and busy? Could we have prevented this? Will we ever be able to have a baby in the future? What is going on with us? And I, I just remember beginning to grieve and yell at God and curse at God and just being so upset. Lord, we're living our lives for you. Why can't we just do this? Why can't we just have this one thing? And I, I didn't know how to grieve this properly, and I, I just stopped eating. I just stopped all all food, only drinking water. And I didn't have this grand plan of a spiritual fast, but I just lost my appetite. And one day began to be two days. Two days began a week, no food. Starting to lose weight. I'm a pastor at the time. People are seeing me lose weight. They're starting to be concerned. They're talking to Pastor Amrita, What's wrong with your husband? What's going on? He just doesn't seem right. Two weeks turned into a month, and I went 40 days without eating. Lost 32 pounds in my grief, and in my sorrow. And a lot of people are like, oh, and you're so spiritual, you're so holy. You did a 40-day fast. It wasn't because I was strong. It's because I, I didn't know how to cope. I didn't feel like I had the skills to grieve. I didn't, I didn't have a path that was laid out for me. I'd never heard a sermon acknowledging these things. And so I, I just didn't eat. And it was a very, very difficult time. You know, and, and during that time... I was so weak, and I realized I, I can't do this alone. I, I need help. I'm, I'm quite, literally, very, very weak. And so the second thing I want to share, looking at the life of Jesus, is this. Yes, grief is biblical, but grief is communal. Grief is communal. I want you to notice in verse 39, it says, then This is the same story. Accompanied by the disciples. Notice how it says, Accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. You know, sometimes when we're going through grief, we need people with us. And I love that Jesus brought his disciples with him. I don't know what you've been taught about spiritual leadership, but Jesus was vulnerable around those he was mentoring, discipling, and leading. Some people say you can't be friends with those you lead, but if Jesus can be friends with sinners and friends with his disciples... I think pastors can be friends with people. Amen. And Jesus, he included people into his grief. And and something beautiful happens. The power of community entered in. And I I like the phrasing of this. Sometimes you just need someone who says, I wish I could take your pain and give it to someone we both really hate. (laughs) Anybody have a friend like that? I wish I could take all of your pain and give it to someone we both hate. And so Jesus, he, he brought some support in. They joined them in the garden, just a stone's throw away. And we see, if you're familiar with the scripture, Jesus finds them asleep, right? And I used to preach sermons all about this. Jesus is praying in the garden. He's facing crucifixion. The disciples fall asleep. Three times he has to wake them up. I preach sermons like, church, we need to pray, Could you not tarry one hour with Jesus in the garden? You need to pray. Prayer isn't just preparation for the greater work. It is the greater work. And I would kind of make fun of these disciples. I would criticize them for their lack of being able to tarry and pray. Have you ever heard a sermon like that? And I was kind of convicted as I was studying for the scripture because I want you to notice in verse 45, why did they fall asleep? It says in verse 45, at last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. These are good friends. They carried the grief of Jesus so much that they literally cried themselves asleep. Do you have any friends that when you're mourning and going through sorrow, cried themselves asleep because of your pain? Have you included people into your process where they're carrying your burdens with you? Jesus did. I mean, our temptation is to isolate and distance and cut ourselves off. People need to see me as strong. I never want to be a burden to people. But Jesus, in his plan of salvation, in his plan of sol- like supporting humanity, allowed humanity to support him. That's beautiful. And now the sermon of criticizing the disciples convicts me to be like the disciples. Oh, I want to be someone that can carry someone's grief with them. I want to be someone who says, I'm exhausted from grief because my brother, my sister is going through something. You know, and this is why we, we really encourage you to join a small group. This Sunday is Sunday Sunday. Four small groups where we're launching them. And if you're not in a small group and you're doing life alone, if you're isolated, man, not only will you not get the support you need, you're holding out and giving people the support they need. Honestly, I don't want to be like sounding like I'm manipulating, but if you're not part of a regular gathering with people unlike you, where there are people weaker than you and stronger than you, you're selfish. Because you're a gift to the church, you're a blessing. God is speaking to you. Yes, and sometimes we say, I don't have time for small groups because I just don't need it. It's not important to me. But there are people in this church who need your presence. They need your personality. They need your gift. And the disciples were willing to go to the garden with Jesus. We sometimes think that, man, they fell asleep because it was right after the the last supper and they drank too much wine. But that's not the case. Or sorry, Seattle. They drank too much IPA. They were exhausted from grief. Are you exhausted from grief today? If you are, I'm so sorry. Do you feel like you're, you're agonizing and sweating blood? I'm so sorry. But we're a church that honestly would love to walk through it with you. You don't have to be alone. If you're alone, it's by choice. You don't have to be alone. And I know we've all lost our social skills in the pandemic. I know we don't know how to small talk. I know we don't know how to take the first step. I know how intimidating it can be. But even you being here right now, I'm proud of you. Because you're inviting people in to your garden of grief. I remember when I was in that fast, I was really, really weak. Every day people would come up to Pastor Amrita after I preached a sermon. And they'd say, he looks so skinny he looks so weak. What are you doing? You need to convince him to eat. She's like, trust me, I tried. I remember around day 38 of the fast, I got invited to speak at a three-day Baptist revival. I was like, what is that? <laughs> All right, let's go. And I could not drive myself because I was so weak. Amritha would wake up at like 5 30 a.m., drive me like an hour and a half for these morning services at this Christian school. And I would just be like, ugh, I wasn't laughing or talking. But Amritha supported me all the way through it, would get me to the stage. I would preach. I don't know what I said. It was probably super spiritual, though. And then I'd get off, and she would drive me back. I was so weak. Amritha, she would literally wake me up in the middle of the night because she didn't know if I was breathing. And so I'd be just clinging to sleep, trying to get my energy back. Pretty even wake up. Pretty, but wake up. Are you alive? I'm like, yes. Why are you doing this? She's like, I was just checking. I was like, stop it. <laughs> and I'd just ride the pain on the couch, and she'd just rub my back during my grief. And you know what the crazy thing about that is? She was supporting me when it was her body that went through so much pain that I didn't go through that physical pain. And yet, Amrita. She was willing to support me in grief as I supported her. And it was communal grief. And that is the picture that Jesus shows us. That grief is communal and we need each other. Amen. Third thing I see in the scripture is this. Grief is useful. And if you're going through a season of grief, this is the point you're going to hate. Ecclesiastes 7 says this. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. Thanks for the hope. <laughs> so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. You know, grief is a bitter fruit that gives us the nutrients of empathy, humility, compassion. It's a bitter fruit that enlargens our soul. To love well, to hold on to what we have now, to appreciate the moments we have right now. And I know we don't wanna hear that, especially for bitter, or offended of God. God, if you, only you had been here, Lazarus would not be dead. That's what they said to Jesus right before he wept. If only you had been here. When the disciples are in the boat and a storm came, Jesus is asleep, and they're like, Jesus, do you even care if we perish? We go through these times, but there's something in that grief and that sorrow that quite literally enlargens our soul. Has anybody here ever been grown and stretched in the school of sorrow and grief. There are some lessons that you only learn in the fiery furnace. Peter Schizero, who wrote the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, wrote, Good grieving is not just letting go, but letting it bless us. I want to show you a picture. This is an illustration. Maybe it will help you as you experience a time of grief. But there's a picture of a ball in a box, and this represents grief. The pain button in red is like when we are overcome by the pain of grief, when those waves of anguish and agony wash over us. And that ball is trapped in this box and that ball represents our grief and it's bouncing around there. And at first the ball is so big and it hits that pain button over and over and over. You're like me, you can't eat You can't focus. You can't remember details. You're making bad decisions. You can hardly talk to anybody. It's just hitting that over and over. Has anybody ever been there? But as time goes on, you realize that, yeah, time doesn't heal all wounds. Time is often neutral, especially when it comes to grief. But eventually, that ball begins to shrink. Let's show you this next picture. And grief is still there. The pain butt is is still there. And the ball bounces around, but it doesn't hit that same button as much. When it hits it, it's the same exact pain. It hurts so much, but it's random. And the advantage of this is not every living moment of your life is filled with sorrow. The disadvantage is you never know when you're going to collapse in sorrow. Have you ever been there? And so the ball just bounces around and bounces around. And that's, that's why I wanted to bring a message like this, because we will experience sorrow. You know, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, and he still has scars in heaven. He still has scars in heaven. And as this ball bounces around, I believe the Lord will speak to you. He will want to teach you some things. And it's not going to be easy. While I was in the middle of my fast, angry at God, angry at the circumstances, I I felt the ball was starting to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually, the pain wasn't just screaming at me, and I was able to quiet myself down enough to hear the voice of the Lord. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me. Pradeepin, I know you're struggling to build your physical family. I want you to focus on building a spiritual family. I want you to start a beautiful church, in a beautiful place. And that's where Kalos started. The fact that we're all here today processing and talking was the Holy Spirit birthing something out of my pain and grief. The reason that we have salvations and baptisms is all by the grace of God, but the seed was planted in the ground of death. And my prayer is that you would experience resurrection on the other side of your death. My prayer is that the Lord would help you be refined like that scripture in Ecclesiastes as you're experiencing grief. And I know the pain is real. I know that ball is bouncing around. But I really believe that resurrection is on the other side of death. Pastor Pete Scazzaro again writes, Jesus died on the cross and led to life of all humanity. There are many rich fruits that blossom in our lives as a result of embracing our losses. The greatest, however, concerns our relationship to God. We move from a give me, give me, and give me prayer life to an intimate, loving prayer life characterized by a loving union with God. When we grieve God's way, we are changed forever. And so if you're experiencing great grief, I want to encourage you. That's an indication that you have experienced great love. My, my prayer is that you would use your grief to enlarge in your soul and not head into the direction of suppressing your emotions, becoming bitter, distant, and isolated, especially if you're grieving a lost loved one, because then you're saying, you're responsible for my bitterness, and we dishonor the memory of those who have passed away. If I died, I would not want you to become bitter. I don't want you to become bitter. And I'm sure the ones that you've loved and lost don't want you to become bitter. They don't want you to be isolated. And I don't think we should put that responsibility on them. Instead, we will let the Holy Spirit take our dead places and resurrect them. We'll allow the Holy Spirit to turn our our mourning into dancing. That he would take our ashes and construct something beautiful out of it. That we would walk in the fullness of God. Is this easy? No. Is this painful? Yes. But will God do something with it? Absolutely. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For my brothers and sisters right here who are dealing with grief, and they're here, and they're trying, and they're worshiping, and they're listening to the scriptures. They haven't given up yet, and I know that can't be easy, Lord. And so I, I just thank you that we're even here trying. We're even here being courageous. And I honor that, Lord. I just pray, Lord, in the dead places of our heart, in the places of our heart that have become stone. Lord, I pray that you would water them. I pray that you would resurrect and that you would bring life and that you would help us to, to understand that we're not bad people because we're grieving and experience, experiencing sorrow and death. We're not bad. We're like you, Jesus, who wept, who prayed honest prayers, who lamented, Lord, and I pray that you'd help us to not isolate ourselves, but we would experience a grief that is communal. Lord, like you allowed the disciples to see you in your painful moments, I pray that we would be a church that invites one another to love us, that we wouldn't just be transparent, but we would be vulnerable. We would allow one another to touch our pain. And that through that, Lord, we would somehow find that grief is a useful process to enlarge in our soul, even though we don't like it that we would become more like you and see the good things you have prepared for those who you are conforming to your image. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.calos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.